So, as we come this morning to look at this section in John chapter 14, and we've entitled this series, Discipled by Jesus. And there couldn't be anybody better to disciple us, to encourage us, to walk with us along the way. And that's what I think this series is about. So, as we come to this section this morning, ask the question, how does the future look? What do you think? Because the Bible, I suppose, tells us to take each day as it comes. Not to be jumping way ahead. But sometimes we can be hopeful. Or sometimes we can be concerned. Maybe we're concerned about how our faith is going to work out in the days ahead, as as we've been thinking already. Because living for Jesus in our world is not easy. There are many challenges to our faith where we're being challenged in how we work out our faith, what we believe, and how we should live in the light of the challenges that are before us. And I think that's good. I think it's good for us to be challenged, to work out what we believe and how it actually works in practice, how we deal with the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Even as we work through things like the rising cost of living and what it means for us. The uncertainty about our government and trying to build a better society. The awful war in Ukraine, wondering where that's going to lead and what our response should be to it. As we work with the developing circumstances of our own lives and maybe sometimes uncertainty or maybe difficult experiences that we've had or are having. But Jesus comes to a group of disciples at this point who are struggling to cope with what they are experiencing. And so Jesus then takes on the task of preparing them for the journey that's ahead of them. Discipled by Jesus. That's what his task is going to be. And he's telling them exactly what they need to hear. Not necessarily what they want to hear. But his words will come to them as they will come to us. Like fresh dew in the morning. To support them and enable them to continue to follow him. You see, last time, as Dan dealt with, Jesus told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't allow that to be your position, the troubled heart. He says, trust in God. You already trust in God. Now trust in me, he's telling them. He has already told them of his love for them. And in John chapter 13, he's illustrated that by washing their feet. Now can you imagine Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Probably deal with that later on in the month. But now Jesus speaks to them of their love for him. And he says to them, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You can show that you love me by living the way that I've told you. By allowing my priorities to become your priorities. My ambitions to become your ambitions. What I've said to become your rule of life. You know, sometimes 
people might think, well, you know, that's a bit really like duty, a bit ritualistic. You know, is it all about obeying commands? Is it all about rules and regulations? Well, actually, no, it's not. Ruth and I will be married uh, 38 years in December this year. We started going out together after a youth club party 43 years ago in December. And I can remember those early days of our relationship, getting to know Ruth, those early conversations. I'm sure you can remember from your situation some of those early conversations, finding out about each other, trying to find out what pleases, so then you can act accordingly. That's not duty. That's love, isn't it? Finding out what the person likes and then trying to do that. What they've said, as you hang on to every word, I'm sure. But Jesus is telling his disciples how they are to live their lives and that through that they will show him what they think of him. No point in finding out what your partner likes or enjoys or through all those conversations and then ignoring it. In loving Jesus, these disciples will put their trust in him, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. In loving Jesus, they will love one another. They will love their enemies and pray for them. They will develop habits of prayer and the study of what he has said. They will be salt and light in their community. They will deny themselves, take up their crosses, and they'll follow him. They will seek the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They will go and make disciples. They will prepare for his return. You see, I think Jesus is telling his disciples here that they will demonstrate their love for him by doing what he said, by living their lives on his words. And that includes the entire revelation that he has given to them from the Father. What they have received from Jesus. It's not just about following a few actions which Jesus has mentioned. They will build their lives on Jesus, the rock. So that whenever storms come, they will still remain standing. They will be able to cope through those times. But I think too here it's important for us to remember that this is not just all about us loving Jesus because we need to remember that this kind of love and commitment comes because Jesus has first loved us. It's not really about earning his love by loving him. Rather, it's about responding to how he has loved us. And that's why we want to do what he says. That's why we want to follow and, and hold on to every word that he has said. As we look to the future, no matter how it looks, we need to ensure that our lives are marked by this demonstration of love for Jesus by allowing his words to shape our lives and our priorities. In this way, he will feel loved by us as we allow him 
to shape our lives. I think that's crucial to this passage, actually, how we love Jesus, how we respond to him. Because then he says, as he responds to his love, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. You see, they will no longer physically have Jesus' presence. But he's saying God is going to provide another helper, another of the same, effectively. You think you're going to be left alone to struggle and work all this out? Well, this helper will come alongside you. He will encourage you. He will exhort you to do the even greater things that we talked about last time, which Jesus mentioned in the previous verse, previous verses. This helper, this advocate, this other comforter. He will be the presence of Jesus with us. And we're told that he'll be with us forever not just for a specific period of time or not just for times whenever we feel spiritually well enough or good enough or that we're close enough to God. This is a promise to tell us that we will have the Holy Spirit, the advocate, with us forever. It's interesting that the word advocate is used here because the other situation where that's used is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1, whenever it talks about Jesus at the right hand of the Father being our advocate before God, praying for us, pleading our case so that we can be right and stand before God complete. And so Jesus is saying that you will, have all, you will always have the Spirit of God with you to help you to fulfill what I'm asking you to do and to overcome the world. How does the future look? Well, a bit different whenever you think the Holy Spirit is going to be with us every day of our lives, forever the advocate, the helper, all the words that are used to describe him, that he will be in our lives. And in fact, in in chapter 14, verses 17 and 26, Jesus tells us about the spirit of truth. That's ultimately the truth of, of Jesus, who will be with us and what he will do. We're immediately told, whenever Jesus mentions the spirit of truth, that the world cannot see, receive, or know him. But actually that doesn't mean that the spirit can't reach out to those who don't know, receive, or accept him. Because the spirit is able to bring conviction into people's hearts in all kinds of ways. In regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment, we're told by John. But the Spirit is able to help all of us see our accountability to God and our need of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we long for him to do in all of our lives? He's able to lead us to find a new and satisfying living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's not only what we long for ourselves, but everybody around us. Whether it be family, whether it be friends, whether it be colleagues, even people we don't know. That's what we pray for, isn't it? But Jesus then points out to his disciples that that they do know the Spirit. The world doesn't know the Spirit, but they do know the Spirit of truth. 
simply because he dwells with them and in them. Isn't that incredible that Jesus should mention that? The Holy Spirit is not someone who's to be talked about or thought about. Well, he is that as well, but here the Holy Spirit is to be experienced in our lives. And Jesus is saying, as you believe in me, as you follow me, as you trust me, you will be aware of his presence and his work in your life. Again, Jesus further explains in, in verse 26 of chapter 14. Whenever he says that the Holy Spirit will teach you and bring to your memory all that I taught you. There's a key work of the Holy Spirit in your life as you look to the future and as you are concerned about how things are going to pan out. But this was especially important for the disciples as they were the ones who were going to write the New Testament, which we believe to be the breath of God and how he communicates with us, what he's saying to us. So it was important that the disciples were taught by Jesus that he would bring to their minds everything that he said so that they could teach others, so that he would help them in their understanding because many times we see the disciples just struggling to understand what Jesus is talking about. So here's the promise for them, that the Holy Spirit will help them. He will teach them and he'll remind them of everything that that Jesus has said. And that's why Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the work that the Spirit has done with the disciples to help them, to help us to understand what God is saying to us. And so therefore, from our point of view, it's important for us to read, to study, and to pray through our Bibles in order that the Spirit of God can teach us and also remind us of everything that Jesus has said. We need to get ourselves to that place where the Spirit is able to work and not be hindered by the lack of knowledge that we have or lack of awareness of what Jesus said. Maybe it, maybe it would be a good idea, maybe a good exercise for us to to work through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through to 7 and to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth about Jesus and about the ways in which we can demonstrate our love for him as he teaches us and then so that he'll be able to bring to our minds all the things that he teaches us through Matthew 5 through to 7 because that's such a good good sermon in, in terms of what Jesus has told us. Maybe you could ask God through that to make you more aware of the work of his spirit in your life. That you might know and, and experience the reality in a very powerful way, in a very real way that he is with you and that he is in you. So Jesus says you will have the Holy Spirit. But at this point, well, I'm, I'm actually hopeless at goodbyes. I, I really don't, don't like them. I, ne I never have liked them. 
But the goodbyes that I can cope best with are the ones that whenever you say goodbye and you know that in maybe a week or a couple of weeks or maybe a, a month's time, you're going to see the person again. Because it's, it's so good. You can, you can put away all the sadness that you're thinking about, about the parting so that then you can say, well, actually, another week's time, another month's time, I'll see them again. It'd be great. But Jesus is concerned for his disciples here because he is saying goodbye to them in one sense. And they are feeling abandoned because he's told, he's told them he's going to leave them. Do you ever feel that, like abandonment? He says, actually, in a short time, the world will not see me again. I think that's actually quite sad. The world had, had the blessing of, of Jesus' presence and his grace and the way in which he interacted with people. And oh gosh. But then he says, in a while, short time, the world's not going to see me anymore. Lack of hope. But for his disciples, however, they will see him again. Because what he says next is about to remind them of what's going to happen after he is put to death on the cross. And, and these verses, I just could, all I could think of, whenever we were being led in our worship earlier on, these, these words were, were ringing in my head as, as we sang. Whenever he says, the next thing he says to his disciples, because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you also will have. Folks, I think, I think that would be a tremendous motto for, for the future as we look. Because I live, you also will live. You know, it's possible to be feeling as if we're dying inside or that things are not very hopeful or they're just not going the way that we maybe thought they would or just all kinds of different thoughts, concerns that we have about different things. Jesus says to us, because I live, you also will live. What he's referring to here is the resurrection. He's reminding them that he will rise from the dead and because of this, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in them, they too will live. Through the resurrection, they will have new life, life to the full and indeed life eternal. But he adds something else to this. Because he says, on that day, the day of resurrection, the disciples and we will know that Jesus is in the Father and that we are in him and that he is in us. Isn't that incredible? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. On that day, we will know that he is in the Father. And that we are in him and he is in us. That is only possible through the power of the resurrection. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, what Jesus is saying to you is that to be in Christ, that following him is to be in Christ and that he is in you. And that's the resurrection. That's what it means. 
That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, in, in some of my favorite verses of Scripture, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Christ living in him. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know the power of the resurrection. Christ living in me. In Jesus Christ we receive life. As Paul reminds us, no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I have a whole new relationship with Jesus, and the focus is living for him through the words that he says. Demonstrating that life. And then Jesus adds that this person will be loved by my Father and I will make myself plain to him. Do you see the way in which Jesus comes to us? As we experience the power of his resurrection in our lives, as we seek to live for him by loving him, as we love him, then he comes to us. We are loved by the Father and Jesus makes himself plain to us. Sometimes it's hard to see him, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to, to know what's going on in our lives. And yet Jesus says, as we look to him, as we love him, as we commit to him, then he will make himself plain to us. As we live this new resurrection life, following the words of Jesus and the power of the Spirit of God, not only we're loved by the Father, but Jesus reveals himself to us. Shouldn't that motivate us as we face tomorrow? Shouldn't that give us a different perspective as we think about Monday morning? Even Sunday afternoon? It should reshape our hopes and our ambitions and our plans as we focus on Jesus. But Jesus here promises us that he will reveal himself to us as we seek to love him. As we live by his words and the power of his spirit, then we will get to know him better because we will realize who he is and what he is doing in our lives and also in the world. wonder, do you believe this promise of Jesus that as you seek to love him, as you follow his commands, that he will make himself plain to you. That you'll be aware of, what he, of who he is and what he is doing in your life. How exciting is that? To be aware of Jesus, that he makes himself plain to us as we commit to him. But you know, as Jesus is talking about revealing himself to, to his disciples, Thomas, of course, he comes out with what's just the first thing that comes into his head, probably. And he says, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and, and not to the world? Jesus, why do you just not reveal yourself to everybody? Would that not be easier? <laughs> to be honest, I think probably, maybe I may have asked that question as well actually because I would love Jesus to show himself to everybody that I know 
whether it's in family, friends, colleagues, whatever. But then Jesus explains that he reveals himself to those who are willing and open to him, those who love him and who seek to live by what he said. They are loved by my Father, and they are the ones with whom the Father and Son will come and make their home. Again, another incredible promise by Jesus. That as we seek him, as we try to live, as we seek to live our lives by his words, then we are loved by him, loved by the Father, and that the Father and the Son will come and make their home with us. I, I have a picture there of uh, what's going on inside my own heart as I think about this, of me, Jesus, and the Father sitting having a meal together, talking, building relationship. As you were talking about earlier, building connection with, with God. But then on the other hand, Jesus won't reveal himself to those who refuse to see him. Those who reject his words, who pick and choose between what they like or don't like. Jesus will not reveal himself to those who, who don't actually love him. And he adds that the, these are not my words. These are the words of the Father, the one who sent me. You see, through what Jesus has done on the cross and in the resurrection, he has made it possible for the Father, the Son, and the Spirit to make their home in our lives. wonder, do you get that? That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all able to make their home in our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of the resurrection. Because I live, you will live. And this is the way that you will live, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living within you. As the passage concludes, Jesus comes back to the troubled heart. And again, he's, I suppose the idea of here is being discipled by Jesus, that he's telling us of, of how we're, we're to love him and how that works out. He's telling us of the work of the Spirit and how the Spirit comes to us and how he, Jesus, and the Father and the Spirit all relate to us. But then he comes back to this idea of the disciples still having a troubled heart. And then he says to them, that he gives him his peace. Having reminded him of the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, he's coming back to this point. There's no reason to have a troubled heart because I live, you also will live. You trust in me. I've got this covered. And this is the peace too which Jesus gives to his disciples in his post-resurrection appearances. Do you remember whenever he comes into that room, whenever they're all sitting with the locked doors, he says, peace. He gives them peace. This is peace as the world 
can't give. A peace which is against anxiety and worry and stress. The world cannot provide peace. It can talk about it. It can desire it. But it can't provide it. Paul reminds us that Jesus' peace transcends all understanding and is able to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And that's against anxiety and stress and worry and all those things. This peace was won by Jesus Christ and is able to to work in our lives with God and with others. Don Carson, his commentary, suggests that Jesus is pointing out here that their troubled hearts come from his departure and that it's not only a failure to understand and a failure to trust, but actually a failure to love as well. And so that's why Jesus says, if they loved him, they would have rejoiced that he was going to the Father. They would have realized what he was going to do and why he was doing it. Back to the one who commissioned him, who set this amazing plan of grace into operation. You see, Jesus wants to tell his disciples that this is going to happen because he's preparing them so that whenever it does happen, they will believe that he is the Son of God and that they will have life in him. That's why he's saying it. But Jesus loves the Father and he's showing that through his obedience by going to the cross and ultimately the resurrection. Obedience to the Father's will and now he's going back to the Father to prepare a place for us. This is our example of how to follow Jesus' love. Obedience to the will of the Father in Christ. And so, as we move out of the building this morning, our call is to love Jesus. And as we do that, to realize that we have the Holy Spirit within us and with us to help us to follow Jesus, to obey his commands. And to realize also that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are making their home with us. That we are loved. And that we can move forward in the confidence of that. I want to leave you with those words. Because he lives. Because I live. You also will live. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the encouragement that you give to us in it. We just ask that you would help us as we look out to the future and we, we don't know what the future holds, but yet we can face it because of you, because of the hope, the peace, the love and the joy that you give to us in Christ. So enable us to get that, that focus in our lives as we look to follow you. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.